This is Energy Voice Out Loud, leading the global energy conversation. I'm Alistair Thomas, and welcome to our podcast. We're joined this week by Africa and LNG editor Ed Reed and digital journalist Hamish Penman. And not to draw the curtain too far back, but this podcast very nearly did not happen thanks to outages across the city of Aberdeen in uh, Wi-Fi, amongst a host of other problems. But that is not for you, dear listeners, to worry about. I've got a question for you guys, though. Um, you know, preparing for this, I was uh, considering the, the week that we've had. Who do you think's had a worst week? Jeremy Hunt, Matt Hancock, or David Beckham? I can't, I can't believe you didn't put Elon Musk in there. <laughs> Elon, well, oh, Elon as well. Gosh, yeah. It's, it feels like there's... there's I, just, I just felt... Uh, well, I guess David, but yeah... I feel like Elon's got this kind of simmering um, issues around him, no matter what he does. But uh, it does seem particular. I mean, between the the, the kangaroo anus, um, you know, uh, David David Beckham's Qatar World Cup woes, uh, and Jeremy Hunt being lambasted in the papers, that perhaps it's, it's not it's not a great week for them. But um, but yeah. Anyway, um, that's 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 the that's the week as it stands. And uh, and yes, the reason why we are returning to you a little bit later. Today is because the the much trailed windfall tax is indeed now upon us following uh, Jeremy Hunt's autumn budget. Um, I won't go into all uh, all of it, but the headline numbers uh, and uh, some of the the concerns the industry's had. Uh, so increase in the rates from twenty five percent to thirty five percent. That's a windfall tax. With a headline rate of tax for North Sea oil and gas operators uh, now standing at 75% on their profits over the next six years, that's expected to raise £80 billion over that time period for uh, for the Treasury. Half of that is directly from these measures on the windfall tax or energy profits levy. And there's also been an, uh, a, an increase or the imposition, I should say, of a windfall tax on electricity generators can't speak today and that's expected to raise 14.2 billion over that time period according to treasury documents so is the industry happy no um offshore energies uk uh, the trade body said in response this will uh, threaten this threatens to drive out investment from the uk and there now needs to be you know balance in terms of these taxes it's a headline rate of 75% and i guess this, the other question is okay we've had you know uh, we had the first one in May, six months on, we've got this second increase. Is this it now? Uh, and we don't, obviously, we're recording this the day after. We don't have all or arguably any of the answers. Um, a lot of info still come in. But I guess such as the confusion, um, you know, I, I was speaking to one of the operators um, yesterday off record, and they were just basically saying, yeah, I mean, d- if we were to chat to you about X, Y, and Z, it would just be a bunch of don't knows because you know we don't know what this means for this or that or the other. There's a lot of question marks at the moment, and uh, I believe Aberdeen Uni are doing some modelling on it now, um, which will uh, help us figure out how this is going to impact investment. But just to give a sense as to what we do know, the investment allowance this is uh, originally linked to the the Rishi Sunak windfall tax that's being kept. That's kind of a, a 91 pence return on every pound spent which is designed to encourage investment from the industry. And that doesn't cover every type of investment, things like carbon capture and storage. That's a bone of contention for the sector. But uh, there is some sweeteners in there for electrification. And quite an important point that we should probably raise as well, Harbour Energy, that's the North Sea's largest producer. They're, they're among those who have, in response to this, underlined the fact that the Chancellor does not intend to remove the tax You know, between now and 2028, even if oil prices were to fall, uh, and that had been originally a condition 
under the original uh, levy introduced in May. And you can imagine, let's say we had another COVID-style oil price crash, or indeed just a regular um, you know, cyclical price crash, you've got this really high rate of tax, you're going to stop investment, and you can see how that would impact uh, economies such as the northeast of Scotland um, if, if that was to remain uh, in place. So problematic implications for things like decommissioning and uh, indeed for electrification. But yeah, none too happy, but no real surprises there. Uh, you guys following the news as well? Did indeed, yeah. It was, um, I, we, I thought we were going to like expecting quite a lot um, as far as energy announcements go. It was mm. quite, in that regard, it was pretty, um, pretty bereft of anything massive other than the windfall tax. I think when Jeremy Hunt did kind of have a, a nod to CCS. And I think I messaged you saying, "Ah, here we go. This is going to be a, this is going to be big." And then went on to start talking about nuclear. So that was about as far as that went. Um, we were expect well, not expecting, but perhaps hoping for something on the track two announcements. Um, nothing came. It's a thing Sterego, which heads up the Acorn project, I think is pretty frustrated by that to say the least so yeah, I mean I, I suppose given the um, everything else is going on at the moment perhaps we were were wrong to expect too much from it but um, but yeah I was, apart from the windfall tax I think that was, was pretty much us and nothing on IR35 either which um, has left some people very miffed yeah I, I, I'm guessing I mean for CCS they've kind of they have said track to by the end of this year now whether that remains the case or not we're not no we don't know but i i would assume there might have been an element of well we don't want a good news announcement you know buried amid all this economic um very very negative publicity um as you can see from papers of across the political spectrum this morning uh for jeremy hunt uh, there, there's one thing i might i might just get into as well um effectively there there I don't want to get into the, the numbers too much, but if, if you were to spend money on electrifying or decarbonizing oil and gas assets, I mentioned this investment allowance, there is an effective subsidy now for that. So if you spent £100 on decarbonization, uh, the government document says you will get £109 back. That's quite interesting um, and should go quite a way to uh, meeting industry targets towards decarbonization. As we know, uh, the industry is targeting a 50% cut in emissions by 2030. Um, and, and you know, it, it should hopefully encourage some investment on that front. But in, in terms of things like, I mean, I'll go back to Harbour Energy. They're, they're investing in, you know, um, uh, the Acorn CCS project in Aberdeenshire. I think it's called Viking energy now or something like that down in the Humber uh, region as well they're investing in and they they in the lead up to this uh, Linda Cook their CEO had had talked about um, some implications for that investment if the tax was to be hiked um, not everybody has been too forthcoming in terms of the implications here um, I, I dare say some might be quite happy with uh, keeping the investment incentive but it, it does seem to be as it was in May if you've got a decent investment pipeline ahead of you, then the allowances this affords means you might be in a decent enough position. If you don't have a sizable kind of pipeline there, um, or i.e. if you'd basically made your investments before this windfall tax was announced, it means that you've spent all that money, you're getting none of the return, and you're being hit with a very high rate of tax. So it really depends on the position of the uh, investors at this stage from, from what we can see. But I think it'll be some time until we the full extent of this is known. Um, again, you know, a lot of operator, well, the, the industry body saying this will 
potentially drive investment out of the UK. Uh, we've got the EIC saying things like it'll harm the supply chain, which, you know, obviously those two are, are linked hand in hand. And I guess it'll just, the extent to which that, that happens, we'll, we'll have to wait and see. Because um, I'm not quite sure on the economics. I mean, if, you know, if, if there's a new investment in things like Rosebank and it's subject to the investment allowance, will that realistically be a barrier to it? I, I don't quite get that, but you can see how a company like Harbor Energy, which may not quite have that big, that big uh, new project in, 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 in the works, rather, uh, I guess, a, a wide portfolio of fairly mature assets would be quite exposed. So, yeah, uh, that's that's going on. The other thing we should we should mention briefly is 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 the electricity generator piece. Um, so that's a, a hike on uh, I think it was a forty five percent rate of tax for electricity generators, um, and that unlike the the oil and gas windfall tax, that's not subject to any kind of investment allowance. Uh, the justification there is obviously the the electricity market in the UK is tied to the price of gas. Uh, basically, it's the, the most reliable, non-intermittent form of generation, so therefore that sets the price. There are reforms underway for that, but in the meantime, it's meant that electricity generators have been basically uh, getting money um, uh, on the cost of gas rather than the, the cost of their own generation. So um, the government's describing that as extraordinary profits and uh, above a price of £75 per megawatt hour um, they are taxing this um, at a 45% rate. Obviously, Renewable UK and the like are, are similarly saying this is damaging investments. Um, but uh, again, maybe a bit more time until we know how is this going to impact things like Scotwind and, and Intog and, and the like. We'll, we'll see. Um, but uh, I, think, I, think, I think an air of disappointment is, is probably the way to summarize how things are standing at the moment. Uh, as I say, there is a, this is a subsidy for, for Intog and platform electrification, but we'll see how things go for Scotwind and the like. Um, but yeah, I think, I think we'll park that there because I feel myself rambling and, you know, as, let's just leave that. Yeah, okay. So I think I'm done for now. We will obviously revisit the windfall tax. Uh, next up, though, uh, a knockout blow for Amir Khan. As well as these regular weekly news roundups on Energy Voice Out Loud, you'll also find lots of subject-specific box sets in the same feed. And I'm excited to be the anchor for one called the Megawatt Hour. Produced in paid partnership with BDO, the Megawatt Hour brings together experts from across the energy industry and across the world to examine the challenges and the opportunities of energy storage. As more of the grid gets its power from intermittent renewables, energy storage technologies, and batteries in particular, are going to be an increasingly important feature of our infrastructure. Over the course of 10 monthly episodes, we'll be diving deep into the tech, the policy, and the challenges of building out energy storage to help you better understand its opportunities, wherever you work in the energy sector. Look out for episodes of the Megawatt Hour in Energy Voice Out Loud, as well as lots of other special episodes wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, Hamish, you've been uh, following this Rehabold bout for some time now. Uh, who's uh, who's come out on top? There's been a nice little bit of a back and forth, people winning rounds, um, coming back off the ropes, a bit of rope-a-dope, it's been good. Um, but yeah, Rehabold board is uh, here to stay, it seems. They've... Uh, Repelled the move to replace them pretty comprehensively, actually, um, despite the backing of one Amir Khan. But we'll hear more about that in a moment. So, yeah, shareholders will put their faith in uh, Sasha Noza and Stephen Williams. Um, 
funny that after they said they'd return four million to investors. Um, but yeah, coming. Um, it's funny how yeah, that works, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> nice little, nice little blow there for them. Um, but yeah, that will come from the proceeds from the uh, Corallian sale to Shell. So. As we covered, I think it was a couple of pods ago, uh, the real bold requisition, which owns about just shy of about 7% of the firm, uh, was seeking to oust the current board of directors. It wanted to replace them with four new directors in order to install some fresh bloods uh, with the aim of improving the company's fortunes. But shareholders uh, knocked back all the proposed resolutions by a vote of around 80% to 75% against, uh, depending on the specific resolution. Um, probably not overly surprising, given that said shareholders have invested their money into the current board. They've backed them to to do well, and there's kind of a degree of faith that is somewhat difficult to to renege on, like kind of without admitting that you got it wrong in the first instance, I suppose. Um, but Jeremy Edelman, chairman of chairman of Rio Bold, not somebody we've actually really heard from um, throughout this process, but he came out with a with a statement off the back of it saying it's been a costly distraction from the important work. Um, but the board has gathered much shareholder feedback over the course of the last few weeks and we use it to enhance the company's interaction with its investors in the future. Um, so now aside from the ill, the infighting, uh, the kind of the best news line of the whole campaign uh, it came from a rather unlikely source. Um, former professional boxing champion Amir Khan backed the Rehold requisition in a short video that was posted online. Uh, he put his faith in Cameron Satter, who was one of the four replacements lined up should it have gone through. Um, it's still unclear whether they have a relationship or whether it's kind of one of those those videos that you can now get pay pay a small sum to, to get your I don't know. Uh, Matt Letizier to say happy birthday to your mate or something. So I think it's cameo, whatever it is. So not sure if that was the uh, the method by which they acquired it. So commiserations to Amit Khan. Fought well, but was a, a pretty overwhelming loss. Uh, it was a unanimous decision from the uh, from the judges on that. Um, so now Rio Bold, I think, can begin to, to look to the future. And first of all, the license it recently farmed into alongside Shell um, next to the Pensacola Prospect, which I think is... Drilled any day soon? Drilled today? Uh, well, we don't know. I mean, very soon. Yeah, very soon. Uh, I think it's been, the rig's been on station for about four days, so as we record. Yeah, given some rig movements that we've seen in the in the Southern North Sea, it looks as if it's um, yeah, any minute now. So if Pensacola is a hit, as many expect it to be, um, it would be a big boon to the chances of success at the Rio Bold Shell prospects. It also has West Newton, the onshore oil asset around Hull, um, I spoke to Catherine Friel recently, actually, who was one of the requisitioners who feared that it could be West Newton or Bust, he said, for the company. Um, they're kind of putting all their – it relies heavily on that, he be, he believes. So whether that comes off or not, we'll see. But it would be interesting to see now if Sasha and Stephen do kind of deliver on this plan that they, they've said they have to, to improve the company's share price and, and progress its assets, quite a few of which are in the North Sea. Hmm. Inter- I mean, let's just get this clear. This is – this is clearly Amir Khan's mates that he was like. I don't, I don't know. I mean, that's just the impression I got. But uh, that was that was the impression I got too. It's just I don't, it was just uh, I don't, yeah. It was about twenty second video or something. You can find it on our website. It was just it was really odd. So Not odd. the person I thought was going to be um, was was going to be wading in to, to fight this corner. It's totally random. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I get, I've not been following this as closely as you have, Hamish, but <clears throat> it, it seemed to me. Not just with us, but with with other uh, sites like you know Proactive and, and what have you. The the 
incumbent um, management were pretty um, proactive in getting their faces in front of journalists and explaining uh, and, and to their investors, explaining you know, why we were the best people to get in front of. It did seem that this new group were a little bit more shady, implies uh, something uh, untoward. Not not shady, but certainly more, I guess, less opaque, less transparent in, in terms of what they were doing. Or And I wasn't necessarily clear on what their plan was, should they have uh, gained control. Uh, and I got the sense that was maybe about quite an issue for a few people. But yeah, I mean... The, the timing, you know, deal with Shell, shareholder return, um, you know, exciting prospect on the horizon, and you want to get rid of them because they're not doing a good job? Yeah. And, and they were both quite frank and open by the fact that they said the share price isn't where they would like it to be. They were admitted there were reasons for that, and, and they were pretty clear that they had this plan in place to, to turn it around. I mean, interestingly, that guy, Cathal Fru, he was – it started up or was either a, a big part in Fastnet Oil and Gas, which I believe have done quite a lot of work in your neck of the woods, Ed. Uh, casting my mind around frantically. Uh, <laughs> yeah, they were doing some stuff in Morocco, maybe? I think um, drilled a very, very deep well off the coast of Africa. Um, I think, but yeah, it was a Morocco or sort of somewhere around that patch. Yeah, I, I'd not actually heard of them before, I must admit, but um, kind of having done some background reading on them, they've got quite a lot of quite a lot of work on the, or they had quite a lot of work mm. on the I mean, I think the thing that struck me was that, you know, even though this, this requisition group had what, about 7% of, of, of the, of the, the Raybould sort of uh, shares that they still managed to convince what sort of 20, 25% of shareholders to, to agree yeah. with them. I mean, you say that's kind of like a, that, that, that's a loss of the requisition, but I think that, I mean, that suggests to me, there is quite a lot of, uh, differences of opinion around 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 the board, right? I mean, I think, for instance, if if you know, like a, like like an AGM or something, like a like a like a company got say seventy five percent for one of their uh, one of their propositions, that feels to me like that you know that's the kind of point when a, when a company kind of goes away and kind of reconsiders what they're doing, and you know maybe their chairman has to step down or something. So I, I, I mean, I, I, I wonder if, if there is, you know, there is a kind of a, a bit of a sort of a well of shareholder frustration. And I mean, I think obviously, you know, boards always say that they, uh, that they're unhappy with the share price. Obviously, everyone would like their share prices to be much higher, right? But it's a question of what you're going to do to, to actually drive that change. Um, and I, I guess so my question is, you know, are, are, are they doing different things now? I mean, you said you said that sort of, sort of shareholder return, that sort of special dividend. Do you think this is going to be enough to uh, to, to, to put those doubters uh, back on the ropes? I'm, I'm, I'm searching for a, for, for a boxing phrase. I'm, uh, it's, it was elegantly done. <laughs> elegantly done, Ed. Well done. I think it's a very good point. And they did host an investor call that I, I tuned into. And the questions were pretty hard hitting. Another one there for you. Wow. This thing <laughs> this thing's on the ropes. On the ropes. <laughs> But there was obviously a degree of uh, frustration amongst shareholders. The questions were pretty forthright. A lot of them were clearly unhappy. Um, but I think part of their plan to get the share price back up is indeed this return to shareholders. This um, license next to Pensacola, if that comes off, that could be a really big win for the company, especially as it's teamed up with Shell. So that's a big name to be in cahoots with. Uh, and then the onshore West Newton asset as well. So there are there are plays for them to make, and that they will make in the next twelve months or so. Um, but I suppose if they don't come off, then 
it, you would be surprised if this didn't rear its head again. So if West Newton didn't deliver the returns that are being touted, if Pensacola's a flop, then I would be very surprised if there weren't um, if that didn't ramp up the uh, disquiet with the uh, amongst amongst backers, given that around a quarter of them already are would appear a, a, a less than enamoured with what's going on at the moment. Yeah, yeah. Maybe just to, to touch again, very briefly on Pensacola. That, that, so that's that's a, a high impact exploration well in the Southern North Sea. It's kind of this underexplored geological play there. There's about fifteen other licenses that are kind of in that region, and basically, if Pensacola comes off, then what analysts are saying is, well, that's going to open up a whole wave of exploration and development in the Southern North Sea gas basin. So. There's quite a lot riding on it, and as we know with exploration, <laughs> the higher the hopes. Uh, you know, as far as I've seen, as I've seen, sorry to be cynical, uh, the worse results tend to be. But uh, you know, Shell and Deltic seem well, Deltic are, are pretty bo- are pretty bullish. Fifty five percent chance of success. Shell are much more constrained. Thirty percent. Um, so we'll see what comes of it. But certainly, results of that you would impact expect would impact the the share price uh, at Rehoboth as well given their assets nearby so yeah okay uh, well uh, Amir Khan is is down for six uh, so and I think I think we'll park that one there as well uh, and next up it's a story I did a double take on when when uh, Ed mentioned it but uh, yeah it's looking like a crypto crash for shell Energy Voice investigates and reports on what matters in global energy, helping sector leaders understand the geopolitical and economic factors underpinning current events and giving them a view on what's coming over the horizon. Each year, 3.4 million professionals use Energy Voice as a trusted source of breaking news and insight. Subscribers to Energy Voice receive unlimited access to the Energy Voice website, including premium content, free and discounted special reports and additional content, free access to the Energy Voice Live app featuring a personalized feed and priority access to Energy Voice events. For a 30-day free trial subscription to the Energy Voice website and app, visit energyvoice.com slash subscriptions. Join the global energy conversation with Energy Voice. Okay, uh, Ed, Shell getting into what looks like a a no-rules, pretty... uh... Goodness, it, it seems to be a pretty nasty event from what we've seen from it. Tell us a bit what's going on here in Miami. Indeed. So um, Shell has said, well, so I asked Shell what they were doing and they said, look, we're not doing Bitcoin mining. So right. there are a lot of people on Twitter and, and other places saying, ah, oh, this is proof that, you know, the big oil is is backing the coin, you know. Um, and so Shell was very explicit. They're not doing that. Uh, but what they are doing is uh, sponsoring a conference in, of all places, Miami Beach. Uh, I've never been to Miami Beach. I have been to some conferences. Uh, the sort of conferences that I've been to are not, it seems, like Bitcoin conferences. Um, so Bitcoin. So there was there was a there was a Bitcoin 2022 conference, which sort of obviously just went in. I think it was May. And so Shell has said they're going to sponsor next year's and the years after. Um, and 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 so looking at some of the reports from uh, from this this May Bitcoin event seems absolutely atrocious. I, I want to say, Alistair, you you. you you said I wasn't allowed to use the word bacchanal in my headline. <laughs> um, 
uh, on, on the basis that people may not quite uh, in, uh, you know, benefit from a, a, a classical education. Just to remind our listeners, a bacchanal is a sort of a drunken celebration of orgiastic celebration. Um, just, just, just to give you an idea of the sort of things that, that, that might happen at a Bitcoin conference. Um, but so in particular, uh, there, there seems to have been a real uh, sort of sexual harassment problem. Um, so a number of women complained about uh, ways in which they were objectified, uh, victimized, harassed by men. Uh, and when they complained about it to the conference organizers, the conference organizers basically sort of shrugged their shoulders and said, this is uh, woke bullshit. Uh, and we said what we're going to say, and and then the the conference organizer, in a way that I've never seen any conference organizers ever comment, and his comment was that you know my wife, my daughter, my mother comes to these conferences, and if someone talks badly to them, I'm going to kill them. Although he used more of an explicit uh, expletive, wow. um, which you know, as I say, it's it, it's not like conferences that I've been to, uh, <laughs> but it it does seem uh, like Bitcoin crypto might have a bit of a misogyny problem, uh, and also, I mean, it's it, I just thought it was very strange that that Shell had decided that this was the event that it wanted to, to sponsor. So I, I I got in touch with one of the women quoted in in, in an article about who had been. To to the previous event uh she said that she was too too scared to go to the next one uh and that you know she had no faith that the event organizers would provide any sort of uh, safety to attendees uh, yes yeah, so I, I i thought it was i thought it was an amazing uh idea that shell would come in and and, and sponsor this company i just thought it was absolutely extraordinary. i mean i think you know in in days gone past you know we've seen sort of conferences you know i remember kind of it, when I started going to conferences nearly 20 years ago in this sort of the oil and gas space, you know, there were things like, you know, sort of uh, scantily clad ladies on booths, mm. you know, in order to try and sort of attract people walking past. Those have, those days have long passed. Yeah. But it seems not in the Bitcoin industry. And I I, I think it's it's amazing that, that, that Shell would, frankly, put its money into this particular venture. So, I, I mean, I thought it was, yeah, I thought it was, it was very interesting. And, I, I mean, no, obviously, there, there, are, there, are re- there are commercial reasons why Shell wants to do this. They uh, produce sort of high-quality uh, lubricants, I think, from their, from their gas to liquids uh, plants. Uh, and they say that this is ideal for, for data servers and it increases, you know, efficiency, reduces emissions, whatever. Fine. I'm sure that is well and good. But I, I, to me, it seems if I were Shell, I would think that the price would be too high. I mean, Shell don't have enough PR problems as it is. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, yeah, it, it just seems staggering given what's been coming out of this conference. I mean, just reading your piece, Ed, I mean, this this poor woman, uh, Rachel Siegel, I want to say, uh, you know, saying she's genuinely scared to be around the organizers and attendees after what she went through in one of the conferences. And, and yeah, I mean, look, I've never been to Miami Beach either, uh, but, I, I, you know, I, and yeah, we used to have like offshore Europe back, back in the day before my time, there was all these, uh, yeah, you get the the girls on the stands and that, but, you know, there's, there's not a place for that anymore. Um, and I don't really, I don't quite understand what they were thinking, putting their name to this, um, given what's coming out of it. But uh, yeah, it's, it's pretty nasty stuff. I mean, I, I guess there's a, a question here of, well, it looks like it is going to the co- the conference will return anyway. Um, but yeah, I wonder what might change if anything. Um, should it come back, and will 
that old chestnut lessons be learned. I don't think they're too interested in that. And it's more, you're accusing us of wokeism and things like that. <laughs> I mean, on that point, it does just seem kind of like the worst or the biggest like cliched example of what you'd expect like a Bitcoin lad to be like, <laughs> just say these kind of particularly muscly men in, in tight t-shirts talking about stocks, kind of objectifying women, describing anything they don't like as, as woke nonsense and kind of perhaps like, I imagine there are a lot of Joe Rogan listeners in there. That would be my <laughs> takeaway from that. But if it's, I mean, I just call me analog, but I don't really, I still don't really get what Bitcoin is. No. I'm quite happy with a debit cards. That's about my <laughs> level of transactional um, experience. I quite like old settees. So, like, I just, this is just really, I just don't get. This whole obsession with crypto and Bitcoin. That's an old man, Hamish. That's just, that's what you're yeah, telling us. Well, increasingly so, but a lot of it seems really. It's a guy I follow on Twitter who does kind of looking into these Bitcoin things in football, and a lot of this Bitcoin cryptocurrency is really iffy, and like comes from very very dark dark places. It, I mean, I was uh, well. This is we're maybe getting on a slight tangent, but I was just following the news again. I don't know really know much at all about crypto, but I was following the news about this FTX digital assets crypto group who um, have, have gone bankrupt and they've got a new kind of insolvency professional uh, at the head of it who's kind of taking care of, of of the liquidation. And he said he's never seen such a complete failure of corporate controls and such a complete absence of trustworthy financial information. Now, I, I'm not saying that's crypto across the board, but not great. Also, though, it has to be said that that this liquidator was the guy who came in to uh, shepherd Enron through its bankruptcy proceedings. That's so right. He's seen yeah, some things, right? Yeah. right? Yeah. I mean, but the, yeah, I mean, I think this is the thing. I mean, I think, you know, like looking at, you know, like, so, you know, Bitcoin obviously had like a real moment during the pandemic, right? I mean, I think in many ways it kind of seemed to move uh in an opposite way to our sort of traditional bailiwick of oil and gas, didn't it? As as as, as oil went negative, uh, Bitcoin went sort of supersonic. Uh, but since then, you know, with uh, interest rates rising, with uh, economic uncertainty, with inflation, Bitcoin has fallen from, I don't know, something like $70,000 last year to about $16,000 this week. Um, so it, it, it does seem that, you know, that, that, that this is an industry that is going to struggle. Um, and that, you know, obviously, you know, people get very exercised about it. And there are some obviously, you know, kind of real kind of true believers. Uh, but it's 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 an industry with a number of problems, including right. Uh, uh, also, that that sort of emissions problem um, a bit, you know, producing Bitcoin being being very uh, energy intensive. Um, you've got to sort of, you know, thrash your computer essentially and, and, and get more computer and obviously more, more, more power into it, which then turns into a, a big emissions problem. So it's, yeah, it's a, it's a, a number of problems around, around the industry, but, uh, yeah. Just probably that creating a virtual currency can be highly emitting. It's just, I, I know what, come on. there's got to be i mean yeah i don't know this this, it seems like all all manner of problems no i've had people try to explain to me before what the what the hell bitcoin is and uh, i still don't know after this chat but you know uh, i i don't think i've got any uh, life savings that'll be invested in it um by the sounds of things um but yeah i mean that's that's probably enough of that uh, orgiastic Bitcoin bash. Uh, and that is it for this week's episode of Energy Voice Out Loud. Thank you to Ed and to Hamish for joining me. I've been Alistair Thomas, and thanks for listening.
Out Loud is the podcast from Energy Voice, leading the global energy conversation. Bookmark and subscribe to energyvoice.com, sign up to our newsletter and follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter for expert analysis and insight right across the energy sector. Subscribe to Out Loud on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And please do encourage colleagues and friends to listen to Out Loud too. If you've enjoyed it, leaving a rating or review, especially on Apple Podcasts, helps others discover it too. Thank you.